Notice with me Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. In the New King James Version, it says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom, from him, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So the entire Bible is a story of a father and his family. His family was kidnapped by Satan because of sin. But he secured their release by paying a ransom. God recovered his family by paying the ultimate price, the death of his son. And we should be willing to pay whatever price is required of us to restore and heal our families. Now, part of the Father's family is in heaven and part is in the earth. But dead or alive, here or there, we are all members of God's household. And whether our children are young and living under our roof or whether they have grown and are now out on their own, they will always be our children. And we should love them and care for them as long as we live, whether they are here or there, near or far. Now, the Amplified Bible says this. It says, God, the first and ultimate Father. The first and ultimate Father. It's very important that you know this. God is not pretending to be your father. He's not saying, I know you have trouble understanding me and, and you find it difficult to relate to me, so think of me as like a father. No, 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 no. The very concept of fatherhood comes from him because he is the first and the ultimate, the best father. In Psalm 68, verse 5, we read this, that God is a father to the fatherless. In Psalm 27, verse 10, we read, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Woo. So no matter how difficult your upbringing was, if you know the Lord, you are going to make it in this life. God is the great equalizer. You are not at a disadvantage. Jesus said this in John chapter 14 and verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You are not a spiritual orphan. You are in the best family in the world. You don't have to hang your head and, and feel embarrassed because of your family or, 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 or you know, your tribe, your group, your clan. No, you're in the family of God. That's the best family, and you have the best father. He is the, the first and ultimate father. And you are not alone in this world. Amen. How about a real amen? How about a better amen? All right. Glory to God. And our heavenly father will help you to become an excellent earthly father. And he will care for your family, and he will help you to care for your family the same way that he cares for his. In Isaiah 48, verse 17, he promised, he leads you in the way that you should go. God will teach you. God will teach you. You know, when you get married... I can speak from the standpoint of a man, of course, but when you get married, you really don't know what's going on. In some respects, as the groom, you feel like a prop in a big production, a big play. 
and you have one line, I do. All right, you've said your line. You know. And you really have no idea you know, how to be a husband, right? And then later, how to be a father. You know, when, when my first daughter was born, you know, the hospital didn't hand me a manual that says fatherhood. Now, you need to read this. There will be a test tomorrow. Now, they just said, congratulations. And you're like, uh, what do I do now? I have no idea. Your heavenly father will teach you how to be a father. He'll teach you how to be a mother. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And even if you did not have a good father yourself, or maybe you didn't even know your father, he will make you to be an excellent father and an excellent mother, and you can have a blessed family. Maybe you didn't come from a good family, but a good family can come from you. Amen? Now, notice with me 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let me also read the Good News translation. So that you will join with us in the fellowship that we have with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Why did God save you? Why did God save you? Why did He send His Son to the cross for you? It was not just so you could be forgiven. It was not just so you could escape the flames of hell. Now that may be why you got saved, but that's not the primary reason God saved you. It's so that you could have fellowship with him. As we said before, you're not dating the Lord, you're married to him. No intelligent woman, and I believe we have some here today, I hope, no intelligent woman would get married just so she could have a bouquet of flowers and wear a white dress. Well, baby, you, you can go to the shop and buy your own white dress and bouquet. You can have flowers every day if you want. That's not a very good reason to get married, right? And it's not just a certificate that's signed by the pastor. I mean, is that, is that, is that the greatest thing? The, the reason you get married is so that you can share your life together with the person you're joined to. Come on, how many people come to the altar to get saved and like, you know, it's like, okay, sign the certificate, you know, take my picture. Okay, okay, I've got it now. It's like a groom who after the wedding ceremony runs off and leaves the bride at the altar. God saved you so he could live with you. Hallelujah. John said, basically, we preached the gospel to you so that you would have fellowship with the Father in the same way that we have fellowship with the Father. The word fellowship means a relationship based on what is shared in common. A relationship based on what is shared in common. The God's Word translation says, so that you too can have a relationship with us, and our relationship is with the Father. So Jesus did more than change us on the inside. He brought us into a relationship with the Father. And because I have a relationship with the Father, I also automatically have a relationship with everyone else who's in relationship with him. Again, because I have a relationship with the Father, I also have a relationship with everyone else who knows him who knows him as father. Amen? Now, for a Christian, fellowship means being as committed to one another as it is, as we are to Christ. Fellowship means being as committed to one another as we are to Christ. If you love the father, how many of you love the father? If you love the father, you love his family. If you don't love his kids, you don't love the father. 
And if you want to be a blessing to the Father, be a blessing to his family. Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. So don't tell me that you love Jesus and yet you hate church. Ha! You're fooling only yourself. Even the devils are laughing at that statement. If you love the Father, you love his house. Praise the Lord. If you love the Father, oh, I could preach three sermons right now. Somebody needs to hear this. If you love the Father, you do not wake up on Sunday morning with your moistened finger in the air to see which way the wind is blowing. Ah, shall we go to church this morning or go for a picnic? No, no, you love the house of God. You know where you're going to be. Oh, what happened to my amens? Are you there today? Amen. Praise. Look at the person next to you and just smile real big at them. I think he's talking to you right now. Amen. Praise the Lord. We are not merely individuals who received the gift of salvation and now are just going on our merry way, living separate lives. We are joined together, members one of another. We are part of God's household. And just as no Christian is stronger than his fellowship with the Father, so no family is stronger than the fellowship they have with one another. Let me say it again. Just as no Christian is stronger than his fellowship with the Father, no family, your family, will not be any stronger than the fellowship you have with each other. I know you single people think this isn't about you. Listen, the future is coming at you fast. Get ready for it. Your future is not behind you. Get ready for it. It's coming. Amen. So in other words, you need to listen up. You're going to need to know this real soon. Mm. A marriage without fellowship is just a legal living arrangement. A home without fellowship is just a boarding house. A hostel. The word fellowship also means intimacy. It does. Being close, interacting with one another. It is knowing others well, being involved in their life, you see. In fact, the English word familiar comes from the word family, familiar, family, right? So the point is this, we should not act like strangers living under the same roof. I'm talking about your family, your home, and the house of God. We should not behave like just passerbys at the train station. We're family. Not only here this morning, that's true, but, but I mean in your house. Hallelujah. I have seen some families, and I'm not, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody, so don't get uptight. But I have seen some families who don't even know God, and they are more close-knit than some so-called Christian families. Hmm? We need to remove the indifference, the detachment, and the coldness from our homes. And that was a cold response. We need, let's, let's bring it a little closer, you need to remove the coldness from your home. Amen. Now, several years ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, but uh, several years ago I preached in a Yimchunger village, maybe some of you are Yimchunger. I preached in a Yimchunger village near the Burma border in the month of May, and it was cold. Especially at night, it was cold. It was so cold, I couldn't think straight. I couldn't remember my name, it was so cold. My body was just like trembling all over. I, 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 when I went to sleep at night, I wore all my clothes. I put socks on my hands. I put something on my head. I, 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 I curled up in a cocoon. I was so cold. And I had one little coal-burning heater. Little coal-burning heater they gave me. And I kept it as close to me as possible. I practically put it in the bed. And when that fire went out, I woke up instantly. 
Some homes are emotionally so cold, you can't even think straight. It's so cold, it's uncomfortable to be there. Huh? But you can be the heater in your home. You can be the heater in your home. You know, especially moms and dads, you set the spiritual temperature in the house. If you're sitting there thinking, yeah, that's right, man, our home is cold. Well, listen, big boy, that's your job. Heat the place up, warm that place up. I think, uh, please don't be offended at me when I say this, and I know this is a very general statement, and, and, and maybe it's inaccurate, and maybe it doesn't describe you at all, but I think some homes in Nogland are refrigerators. Some. Probably not you, but some are so, they're the, they're the Arctic tundra. They are so cold. No wonder the kids can't wait to get out of there. Warm it up. Warm it up. I hope heaven is not like your home. You know. Oh, hello. Yeah. Nice day. <laughs> Come on. That's not heaven. That's not heaven. Huh? Praise the Lord. You have the ability to make your home livable. And a delightful place to be. Oh, maybe you don't have all the latest electronic gizmos. Maybe you don't have you know, a luxurious five-star mansion. Okay, fine. But I'm telling you, people need more than carpet and air conditioning. They need the warmth of fellowship in that home. Better is a dinner of just vegetables served with love than to kill the Christmas pig served with hatred. That's the Naga translation. <laughs> Romans 12.10. See, the thing is this. There are some verses that we believe, yes, amen. And then there's other verses we don't even know they're in the Bible. Because we don't like what it says. Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's the word of God. I wonder what God's will is. Well, here's part of it. Love one another with what? Brotherly affection. The Greek word is philos, philostorgos. Philostorgos. And it's interesting, this word describes the kind of tenderness that should exist between family members. The kind of tenderness that should exist between family members. What God wants in his church, he also wants in your home. People need affection. People need affection. Last night I thought it was interesting. I saw this that psychologists say it is possible for a person to be touch-starved. Touch starved. They believe that having regular physical contact with other human beings is necessary for good emotional and physical well being. I heard years ago, it's actually my mother who told me this. Years ago, there was, a, um, I think it was an orphanage, a very large orphanage that cared for like. Um, I, I suppose dozens and dozens of newborns. And they had a problem where babies were dying in the crib. Even though they're well fed and clothed, you know, and, and properly cared for, they're dying. And the nurses discovered it's because we're not touching these babies enough. So they began to cuddle them, hold them in their arms, make sure that they're touched by another human being and the infant death declined. Baby, no more babies died in the crib. See, people can be touch starved. So here's my point. I think mothers and fathers should hug their kids. 
even if you're not the huggy type. Like, oh, that's kind of like a, love one another with brotherly affection. Now, you're going to have to find a way to define that in your circumstance and to apply it. I'm just saying, in my opinion, I think mothers and fathers, I'm not talking about just everybody on the street, mothers and fathers should hug their children. No, I'm not telling you to hug every child. I'm telling you to hug your children. Amen. Well, if I hug that boy, he may grow up to be a sissy. He might become a homosexual. No, 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 he won't. He'll become a well-adjusted, huh? A son who was assured of his father's love. Girls, little girls in your home, they need to know that their father loves them. They need to know. Fathers, your daughters need to know that you love them. Well, it's just understood. No, it's not. It goes without saying, mm-mm, that's not true. Because one day real soon, some slick wolf is going to show up and give your daughter a fiendish little smile and say, I love you, babe. But if that girl is assured of her father's love, she'll flash a smile back and say, so does my daddy. She will be secure in her father's love, and that will help her to be chaste instead of looking for love in all the wrong places. Hallelujah. Your children need to know more than arithmetic. They need to know a whole lot more than social studies. They need to know that their parents love them. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Hallelujah. Married couples. Married couples should show affection to one another in the home. Not just to procreate, <laughs> right? Married couples should show affection to one another as an expression of fondness and tenderness. Your children need to see mom and dad embrace and hold hands. I don't mean some passionate kissing in the sitting room. I, I, no, I'm just talking about, <laughs> come on. But I'm talking about that they see tenderness between the parents. Amen. Your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, they need a pat on the back or maybe just a gentle hand on their shoulder. I'm talking about non-sensual gestures of brotherly love. I'm not talking about romance. Some of you, no, come on. Some people think, oh yeah, I won't touch somebody today. No, you better not. We're gonna touch you. <laughs> we don't wanna have a situation where all the single girls need a bodyguard to leave the sanctuary. I'm talking about brotherly, brotherly love. He didn't just say free love. He said brotherly love, which means we're talking about brothers among themselves, sisterly love, sisters among themselves. Hallelujah. You know, for me, if I'm watching sports, like on television or something like that, for me, one of the coolest things is to watch how a team celebrates when they score a goal or when they win a championship match, you know, they'll, they, what do they do? They'll run together. They'll run together. And, you know, and, and they'll high five each other. You know, like men, they'll, they'll chest bump, <clears throat> which obviously I can't do. You know, they'll, <laughs> they'll chest bump each other, you know. Sometimes they'll just pile on top of each other. <laughs> if it's a girl's team, it's a group hug. They all come together. Oh, you did great, Valerie. Thanks, Betty. You know, they do, they do this big group hug. You know, that's what girls do. <laughs> well, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 12, 26, we are the body of Christ. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're on the same winning team. Yet some of you find it difficult to even shake hands with another person. Explain that. Explain that. Well, Peter, James, and John examined Paul's ministry. When they were convinced of the genuineness of his calling, Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, they gave 
the right hand of fellowship. Let's put it on the screen, please. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. We're talking about fellowship. Fellowship in your home, but also fellowship in God's house. Isn't it interesting? The right hand of fellowship, not the back hand, the right hand of fellowship. That clasping of hands was a sign of their fellowship. By shaking hands, they were showing solidarity. We're together now. We're partners together, working for the same cause. So it's scriptural for us to shake hands. It's scriptural. You might think, well, I don't really want to do that. Well, maybe you need to, maybe you need to do it. Hallelujah. Oh, let's go a little deeper. I can feel that uncomfortable tension. That means I know I'm on the right topic. Acts chapter 20, verse 37. Acts 20, verse 37. Paul bid farewell to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And it's, a, it's really striking to read what he said to them. And he ended his, his message by saying, I know that you will never see my face again. Now, he'd been with these people for, for years, several years. I know that you will never see my face again. And notice verse 37. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Here's the point. These folks were affectionate people. They embraced him. They didn't kiss him on the lips. That's what it means. You know, they, they were showing like a sign of a brotherly love to him. That's what it means. I don't want any of you all to kiss me. <laughs> Let me just stop the message right now. I don't want that. Okay, if you kiss me, an usher's going to jump on you. So, If you want to kiss each other, well, make sure it's godly. But otherwise, that's fine. But, um, but what I'm saying is they were not hesitant to express the righteous, godly love they had for one another. Huh? Meanwhile, back in Nagaland, a member of the family is leaving. Maybe she's going to college somewhere far away. Or maybe he's got a job at another state. And some of you won't even take your eyes off the television screen long enough to say goodbye. Okay, I'm leaving now. My train... Leaves in a few hours. I'll be going to Uttar Pradesh, and I'll probably be there for six years. And you know, you're just sitting there glued to K-pop. Bye. <laughs> what is that? What is that? And you wonder why there's no love in your home, huh? Praise the Lord. Now, over the past 18 months, some folks have been so fearful of catching a virus, they have no interaction with any other human being. Your lives are more sterile than the ICU. And there's something worse than a respiratory infection. You know what it is? A cold, selfish heart. I think I'd rather get COVID, but have warmth and tenderness in my life than live in the ICU. The man in the bubble. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Please sit down while I'm preaching. Hallelujah. Let's move on. The word fellowship also means communion and sharing. Let me read 1 John 1.3 again, but this time in the uh, New International Reader's Version. We announce to you what we have seen and heard. We do it so you can share life together with us. And we share life with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Please know this, everybody here today. Christianity is not a meeting. Christianity is not something we do for two hours on Sunday morning. Or two hours on Wednesday night. It's a life. It's a life. It's a life we share with others. It's a life we share with others. So we could paraphrase 1 John 1, 3 this way. John said, we told you about the cross so you can join us. 
and will do life together with him. Just imagine in your, own, in your mind's eye, just imagine these apostles who have accompanied Jesus for three and a half years, saw the, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, saw his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension on high, and now they're reaching out to you through the ages and saying, everything we wrote about is so you can join us and we'll do life together with him. That's Christianity. I said, that's Christianity. And marriage is a man and a woman doing life together. I guess you knew that already. Doing life together. Amos 3.3 in one translation says, is it possible for two to go walking together if not by agreement? Can two walk together unless there's agreement with them? Many marriages break down Many marriages, they really struggle because the husband is going one direction and the wife is going the opposite direction. There's no agreement. They don't have an agreement of purpose. They have two different visions, and we call that division, you see. My wife and I are actually pretty much opposites in everything. You figured that out. I mean, culturally, totally different. Uh, linguistically, you know, they talk about me behind my, they don't have to talk behind my back. They talk about me in front of my face. I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> but sometimes I can kind of figure it out, but I don't let them know, you know. And, uh, obviously, ethnically, very different. Very, just totally opposite. But one thing is this, one thing we have in common is we agree on our purpose. We both share the same heart for the work of God. And I think that's, that's the strong point. That's really the linchpin that holds us together. I know of married couples. I'm thinking of more especially in America, but I'm sure there's some here too. I know of married couples where the husband and wife are from the same town, went to the same high school, you know, have all of the same or similar friends. But the husband is passionate about serving God and the wife doesn't really care about that. Or vice versa. And it's a constant struggle. Every Sunday, the wife has to beg her husband, can we go to church? You see. So even though they're Christians, they're unequally yoked. One's going one way, one's going another way. Hmm? Physical attraction is too weak of an adhesive to keep a man and a woman glued together for the rest of their lives. Physical attraction, that may be what caught your eye or something like that, but that's just not strong enough and it's not permanent to keep a man and a woman glued together. To walk together, to do life together, there has to be an agreement of purpose. So here we go, single ladies. We won't ask you to raise your hand. We know who you are. Single ladies, before you become seriously interested and emotionally invested in a man, you need to know what is his God-given assignment. What is he called to do? Right Before you become emotionally attached or invested in some man, you need to know, what is he called to do? What is his God-given assignment? And if he doesn't know that, he's not ready for marriage. It's real quiet in this Holy Ghost church. And men, same thing. Same thing. Before I propose to Jepatoli Vikoho Jamomi, <laughs> I said to her, I am called to serve God in the ministry. I know that. That's what I'm going to do. And if God sends me to Africa, I'm going to go. What about you? And she said, I'll go too. Hmm? Now, of course, there are some girls who say that before the marriage. 
God's called me to be evangelist. Oh, pray the Lord. Yes, me too. Then after they're married, <laughs> that's over. <laughs> no, no, you need to be very honest. Fellowship is a relationship based on what is in common. And there are some married couples who have nothing in common. That's their problem. They have nothing in common. My dad, who went home to be with the Lord a few years ago, my dad was the ultimate hobbyist, Mr. Hobby, right? And he was a collector of things. He, he never threw anything away in his life. After he died, I went up in his bedroom. He had magazines from the 1970s all stacked up in his room. He never threw anything away. That's another story. You might want to find that out before you marry some man too. You know? But he, 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 he collected guns. He had literally hundreds of guns. If the Taliban came, we're ready. Seriously, seriously, I'm not joking. We were ready. We had bullets. We were ready, baby. Let, bring it on. <laughs> he collected, I'm not making fun of my dad, but you know, I just tell you, he collected old license plates. You know, the plate number? Well, in America, it's, you know, it's made out of like aluminum or something like that. He collected those. Now, that's something you might want to know before you get married to a man. <laughs> He had hundreds of these license plates, you know. And he, and he collected antique cars, old cars. And his favorite pastime was to attend these antique car club meetings where they would bring their old antique cars. I mean, like, in his case, like cars from the 1930s and stuff like that, you know. I know most people, not, a lot of people are not going to drive an antique car. I don't mean that. I mean like <laughs> a real antique car. And, um, and, and my mother did not care anything about that stuff. She could care less. In fact, my dad told me, before he passed away, he said, hey, something happens to me. Don't let your mother sell my gun collection. <laughs> I'm not lying. That's what he said. Don't let your mother sell my... And soon as he was gone, that's the first thing my mother did. <laughs> I hope you're watching, Mom. And, uh, <laughs> so she didn't care anything about that stuff. But she joined his antique car club because that was something that interested him. So she attended these car club meetings with him. And they would dress up in like these you know, old style clothes, like, you know, 1930s clothes or, you know, 1800s clothes, which really looked kind of funny. And they would drive this like 1901 little car to the show and, and they'd stand out in this open field all day long and they walk around looking at each other's cars. She didn't care anything about that, but it's something he cared about. What was she doing? She's trying to find common ground so they can do life together. And it kept my mother and dad from drifting apart. So what does your man like to do? Uh, fishing. He lives for fishing. He just dreams of fishing. Well, go ahead and get your rod reel ready, baby. <laughs> Join him. I ain't going to do that. Go in the stream. And throw in. I don't care anything about it. If I want fish, I'll use a machine gun. No, you better, you better start to like. What is he like? Sports. Man, he's a football fanatic. English Premier League, Italian. Well, then maybe you better pick you know, your favorite team and sit next to him on the sofa and cheer on Manchester United or whatever it is because that's something he likes. I'm not going to do that. It's doing life together. Doing life. And, and by the way, that goes for men too, although it's harder to, for me to preach about that, but, but I'm just throw that out there as well. That goes for men too. She likes to go shopping. So buy a walkie-talkie and give her a roll of rupees and sit in the car. <laughs> I don't know. You know, work it out. I don't know how you're going to do that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Fellowship in your home. There is no communion without communication. Now, those who walk with God speak to him and long to hear his voice. Martin Luther said this. 
To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Right? In other words, it's vital. In the same way, in a similar way, husbands and wives cannot do life together without sharing of themselves by expressing their thoughts and feelings in words. Let me say that again. Some of you are looking at me like a fence post. Husbands and wives cannot do life together. They cannot fellowship unless they share their thoughts and their feelings with each other, verbally, vocally, speaking to each other. Now, some people talk too much. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your wife's hand. <laughs> some people talk too much. And they would be wise to exercise some constraint. You know, you don't have to say every little thing that pops in your head. This morning, you can install a filter between your mind and your mouth. You know, whereas before, just boop, that comes right out. Boop, blah, 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 you know. You look fat, blah, 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 you know, whatever. Just anything that pops out, yeah, right out. You, can you can block some of those words out. That, no, that's not kind. That's not right. I better not say that. You know, and that, that'll save your marriage. Amen. However, some people don't talk enough or at all. God did not appoint you as the silent partner in the marriage. You need to find your voice. One of the most harmful things you can do in marriage is to give your spouse the silent treatment. That's refusing to speak to him or her. Usually it's him. Refusing to speak to him or her as a way to punish that person. Hmm? Do you know what I'm talking about? Don't sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Your wife is angry about something because you forgot to do something you promised to do or whatever, or you said something she doesn't like. And so then, you know, two hours later, you're saying, how are you doing? And she goes, she, it's like, hello? Are you hungry? It's kind of hot today, isn't it? And then the man goes, I must be invisible. <laughs> Whoa. I'm invisible. How cool is that? <laughs> the longer you maintain your silent vigil, the more damage it does to the relationship. No longer speaking to each other is the first step to no longer living together. There is no communion without communication. Think about this. To avoid wars, diplomats keep the lines of communication open. In 1963, the year I was born, me and Nagaland, same day, the same year. In 1963, Washington and Moscow established a hotline to prevent a nuclear holocaust. So if two ideological enemies fearful of annihilating each other can communicate for the greater good so can husbands and wives I don't want to talk to him yeah but I also don't want a nuclear holocaust in this home so I'm going to keep the lines of communication open you're not punishing him you're punishing the, the relationship Thank you for your enthusiasm. You can say something now. You have permission. Go ahead and say amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 to 13. Again, I bet you didn't know this verse was from the Bible. I know some woman just turned off the power. <laughs> Whoever you are, God's not going to be happy with you. <laughs> <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 to 13. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, 
but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. A closed mouth is often a sign of a closed heart. When your heart is closed to someone else, it means you're not willing to share yourself with that person. Your true thoughts and feelings remain bottled up on the inside. And when that happens, when you have a closed heart, then the communication is only about mundane things. I'm hungry. Where's my shoe? Turn on the generator. Pick up the kids. That's not fellowship. That's not fellowship. Amen. Good marriages require honest, heartfelt, and considerate communication. Not only honest, but considerate. Some people are brutally honest. I hate you. Yeah, I hate you too. Yeah, that's it being honest, but that's not going to help their marriage. <laughs> considerate communication. Communication means listening, not just talking. Again, a lot of people that I meet, they haven't developed the listening skills very well. It's like they, 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 they catch like every fourth word you say or something like that. They, they don't listen very well. Listening is not waiting for your turn to speak. Husband and wife, you know, she's saying something and you're just waiting. <laughs> when, she, when she stops to catch her breath, then you jump in. That, that is not listening. Listening is endeavoring to understand not only what the person said, but why he said it. So I don't listen to the what, I listen to the why. She's saying something, something, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, not trying to be presumptuous or try to overthink it, but I, I think, okay, why did, why did she say that? Why did she feel like she had to say that? That's listening. Sometimes the marriage partner doesn't speak because every time he or she does, it ends in an ugly quarrel. So to keep the peace, the person has decided to withdraw, to retreat to a place of silent safety. But that's not a healthy relationship. I know of many, usually it's this way. Usually it's the wife who's super talkative and the husband doesn't say a word, right? And she's just, she's just hoping someone, she's looking for someone to talk to. You know, it's like this, this, the cartoon where the phone rings and the man picks it up and he says, well, you do have a wrong number, but my wife will be happy to talk to you. <laughs> huh? Well, my husband is quiet-natured, or my wife is quiet-natured. Does your spouse speak freely with others and not you? Then there's a problem. There's a problem. If you never listen to your spouse, if you constantly interrupt him or her, if you ridicule everything your spouse says, then don't be surprised when that person, your, your marriage partner, stops speaking. They're tired of being hurt. If the only time you speak with your spouse is to complain about something or to accuse him or her of wrongdoing, then that person's heart will close. Are you listening to me? Proverbs 19.11, I'm almost done. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Be magnanimous enough to overlook the mistakes of others, and there's a good chance they'll return the favor to you. When you communicate with others, you're giving them something more precious than silver. You're giving them your time. You're giving them a part of yourself. Recently, a couple of years ago, my son told me that I don't talk to him enough. I was, I was insulted by that. I thought he's wrong, but whether he's right or wrong, that's what he believed. And it really stunned me. We don't, you, don't, you don't talk to me enough. You don't talk to me. And then uh, more recently, uh, I believe it was earlier this year, maybe it was in the month of May, I'm not sure, he had problem at work, some, some problem. So I called him. 
I was here in, in my office and I called him and I spoke to him about it and I tried to reassure him and tell him some things. And, and, uh, and then we got through talking. He said, thank you. And he said it with a tone of, of real gratitude, real gratitude. So your children need to know that you're on their side. Don't lecture them when they're hurting. Be their number one fan. Be their encouragement. God wants us to fellowship with him and with his family. And he wants your family to fellowship with each other. He wants there to be brotherly affection, tenderness, and kindness in your home. Maybe, you know, you're, you're living with your parents and maybe it's a difficult situation, but, you know, one day you will be out on your own. So determine in your heart, that's, that's the kind of family I'm going to have. Amen? Today, we're going to partake of communion. And we have fellowship with the Father because of what Jesus has done for us. We are partakers of Christ through his death and his resurrection. We share his life, his standing. We have a common union with him. I'll just read one more scripture and then we're going to partake of communion together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of that one bread. The Greek word fellowship also means participation. Participation. That's why we're asking everyone in this room who calls on the name of the Lord to participate in this. Because by so doing, you are showing I not only fellowship with the Father through the blood of Jesus, but I'm in partnership, I'm in fellowship with the body of Christ. And because we partake of the emblem of the bread and the emblem of the juice, which represents the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, we are indicating that we are all one together in Christ.